I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. On this show, you may have heard me speak about the time I spent in a corporate world prior to starting my own business over two years ago. The reality is, I spent a past decade in a toxic environment with antiquated leadership models, and it really took me a while to realize all the ways this was harming me, and I now see how others, especially women, are being harmed as well. Today, I'm inspired by a new leadership model that's based on consciousness and growth. Which is why I'm so excited to share this conversation with Dr. Kara Miller in this episode. Dr. Miller is an author, coach, and consultant who specializes in organizational change, leadership, and the psychology of adult development. She coaches leaders in diverse industries who are looking to increase their influence while also deepening their most natural ways of being a leader. One of the favorite parts of this conversation for me is our exchange about performance evaluation. Don't get me started as I think many things are wrong with them in today's corporate world. And it turns out Kara agrees. Before we get to our conversation, I want to thank our sponsors. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women entrepreneurs achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandiesfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Dr. Miller, it's a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female. And I want to start by asking you, how does one become a leadership coach? Did you always know you wanted to, uh, to work in that field? Or did you become interested in that position after spending some time in the workplace and maybe finding inspiration with role models who were doing similar work? Well, like many questions, it's sort of a both and. So I'll start with, uh, yes, my um, dad works in leadership development. And so I did, I watched him lead teams and um, develop the people around him and behind him and how meaningful that work was, how much identity mm -hmm. he um, was able to savor around coaching others and developing others. I definitely have a streak of that in me. Um, that came from him. And to this day, we talk shop. And um, he's at the sort of beginnings of the end of his career. And so that's a, a great conversation partner for me. And my mom is actually a, a Presbyterian pastor. And she oh, wow. focuses on spiritual development and leader mm -hmm. development. So, you know, there's a real strong streak of that in me too. And how much meaning is associated when leaders can find the, the answers to the questions of ultimate meaning, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of meaning in influencing those around you or leading industries or leading organizations. It is doubled or maybe pushed to exponential growth when you think about how much impact that has generationally. I mean, you start to take that to a spiritual place. So mm -hmm. I've got a streak of each of them. Um, and I'm still, you know, really actively in conversation with my mom about spiritual development, faith stages and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, so there's, that's the beginnings of it. I would say I had seen models or tasted it in my parents' work, each of their work. Mm -hmm. And because this is the female, you know, our focus is on female, uh, work, it was very powerful for me as a little girl to see my mom in a position of authority that was traditionally mm -hmm. held by men. And mm -hmm. so I cannot understate or underestimate really how much that affected my own self-authorship, you know, self-authorizing that 
there was no reason why I wouldn't be able to achieve what I wanted to work for and achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a special piece in my story about that. Um, The other piece of that is, yes, it was a long and winding road. I came up through university. I went to seminary. I went and did the PhD. I met some really powerful professors and I had some really powerful students. And when they moved out into the marketplace after they graduated with, you know, working with me at school, they would call me back to say, we need you out here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, you know, an entrepreneur was born when I sort of got called out, um, mm-hmm. called up, like called up in rank, come out here into the marketplace where we are the case. We're the here and yeah. now where the cases were in the textbook and they were in the curriculum, but there's really no curriculum out here for what we're mm-hmm. doing. And uh, that became so incredibly life-giving to me to follow leaders out into the marketplace and out into the places where we were the case in point. And so here I am, the reluctant um, business owner and and also has become an opportunity for me to build up women and men around me so that Mm -hmm. I can continue to do the work that I'm doing inside Mm -hmm. of the business, not necessarily completely become, you know, switch and become a business strategist, but remain in my lane, you know, sort of stay in my gift and my own, you know, genius and let them do their administrative strategic genius around me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's really fun because then I'm doing what I'm actually coaching, which is develop others to, to lead us forward and to make an impact. So, So there's a little bit of that I saw in my family and over the years with mentors, but really that long winding road was, you know, sort of ended up in the people I was in relationship with who could say, hey, we need you. Um, and how powerful that is and and how much I enjoy saying to those around me and working for me with me, um, hey, we need you that thing in you that feels so true and um, and maybe seems off script in other places, mm-hmm. that's what we love you for. And mm-hmm. we need you out here. So like come out here and do the noble work with us. Um, so there's, there you go. Long and winding road. <laughs> love, love your story. Love hearing your journey. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that I typically ask at the end of the conversation, but in your case, I want to open with this because Okay. I, there, there, there will be a follow-up based on, uh, you know, your experience working with leaders, both okay. men and women. Okay. And the question I always end the episodes with is, what do you wish women would do more of? And I'm mm. asking you because you work with leaders day after day and you're seeing both men and both women. So I'm asking in the context of, you know, what is one thing that women leaders, what is that main wow. obstacle or, you know, the the maybe the, the challenges that we're often creating for ourselves, what would you like to see change? We do have a lot of obstacles and challenges, but what we don't usually start with is how much opportunity those actually create for us, how much opportunity is actually available and what I call like free opportunity. So my straight answer to your question is, I wish that women would take more responsibility for getting what they need in order to grow. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a lot packed into that. So there's partially my story of wanting to understand, you know, how I request what I need in order to grow, to become the leader that I want to be, or to have the impact that I want to have, mm-hmm. and how you know difficult that has been, and how enriching it's been when I bring that conversation to my own partners mm-hmm. and, and my own friendships in the work, and how mm-hmm. they encourage me to to get what I need in order to grow in the way that I think I want to grow. But over and again, at every level of authority, the women that I work with, whether they're CEOs or whether they're line managers, mm-hmm. the thing they it's it, that's so easily available for them, but they don't think to get is go and get what you need. Request, start to learn the practice of requesting what you need in order to grow. And this is hard for a lot of reasons. Um, Mostly the reason that it's hard is because we're afraid of what the answer is going to (laughs) be. Because the answer most often is going to be no, or we don't understand, or not yet, or at worst, that's not for you. Mm -hmm. And um, And the bummer about that is that most of those answers get told to us in our own minds before we ever hear them from anybody else. Yeah, we're we're creating that false belief ourselves. (laughs) So when I say take responsibility, I mean radical responsibility. Like address the feedback that you are giving to yourself when you think about what you need and the obstacles Mm -hmm. that you face, because you are the first barrier to that. Mm -hmm. The first barrier, the first place where you are reticent to actually ask or request for what you need to grow into where Mm -hmm. you're becoming. Um, The next part is actually quite easy. If you can (laughs) address the internal um, dialogue and rejection <laughs> about requesting what you need to grow. Because if you start to get really comfortable requesting what you need to grow from the people around you, it starts to come pretty quickly. It starts mm-hmm. to edit your decisions. It starts to guide your path. It starts to filter your relationships and partnerships in such mm-hmm. a way that it becomes easier and easier or it, it give it, you have more ease in it, I guess is what I should say. Even if mm-hmm. it's not easier, you have ease in right. this practice of taking radical responsibility for requesting what you need in order to become who you know you're to become. And maybe for a while who people are calling for you to become um, before you even can claim it and own it. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes this gets called feedback. So, you know, in organizations, a lot of times this is called feedback. So go get feedback or let's give you some feedback or let's get some 360 Mm -hmm. feedback or something like that. Um, All of those are secondary. That gives the responsibility to someone else like your manager or an anonymous survey um, or comments on the Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What I'm talking about is women being ready to go out and pursue go out and request in an active way what they need to hear in order to get better, to do it faster, to have it be more natural and have more choices mm-hmm. about it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's so that's so interesting. And and you know, I think you're you're hitting the the nail on the head. Um, and I recently was having that conversation with um, bankers who specialize in working with women entrepreneurs, okay. and their feedback was exactly that. And we were having a conversation in the context of COVID and all the difficulties you know that this has brought forth for most business owners in in the past nine months. And women are always afraid of asking for help. It's the, mm. it's, the, it's the thing we'll wait until we really, you know, don't have an option anymore. And in the context of financing, this banker was saying um, it's the same when a woman is starting a business. Often she will she will take on all the responsibility. She will use her personal finances to get the business going and she will wait until asking for a loan or credit or, you know, that's the last resort for her. Whereas men typically will, <laughs> you know, they're, they're rushing to the bank and getting as many, as a, as big a loan as they need. And, you know, they're, they have no, no issues with that. So it's interesting in that context, it's the same logic. So what, why is it that women are, are, you know, doing that more so than men? You're onto it, right? The, one <laughs> of the reasons is because we haven't seen it done very well. Mm-hmm. Either we've seen, you know, highly exposed women um, leaders or, you know, entrepreneurs or just people who are famous um, mm-hmm. asking for what they need or demanding for what they need in a way that is, is, is just distasteful. It doesn't feel good to us. It doesn't have integrity. We can sort of like sniff it out. It doesn't smell good to us. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're low on women leaders <laughs> who have a lot of exposure who can hold their authority, but also ask for and request what they need. And um, so there's, there's, so there's that, there's a lack of models of it. We just haven't seen it done well very often. So true. So true. Um, The other problem is it gets framed as help, which Mm -hmm. takes all the power out of the, you know, all the authority and all the power out of the request. So Mm -hmm. here's my business need, right? Or here's my personal professional development need. Um, I'm requesting that you come alongside. I'm requesting something that will be useful to me. Or, you know, I'm looking for a mutual, you know, sort of exchange for something that I need in order to to grow this business or my own career or whatever. Um, If we say, I need your help, um, it feels like Mm -hmm. someone's you know, de- sort of, we're deferring to them. We're being deferential. Yeah. Like, you know, you power dynamic. Yeah. Could you give it to me? Or the other bummer is someone says that very clearly and holding their own authority. Here's my request. Here's what I need. And the other, the counterparty says, well, I can't help you at this time, or we would mm-hmm. love to help you. And it's, it, it sort of sucks all the power out of the relationship. So what you're looking for is the place where, you feel good about holding your own authority and holding your own sense of power and sort of character and mm-hmm. you make the request. And from mm-hmm. the other side, the request is respected, right? Someone says, tell me more, give me your rationale. Um, we, yes, we want to meet your need. We're ready. Mm-hmm. We're ready to do that. Right. So there's this sort of even exchange of power because very easily when it gets framed as help, well, how could we help you? Um, mm-hmm. It just gets really diminutive and weird and um, mm-hmm. it takes all the power out of what's possible. Absolutely. Especially yeah. when we're asking for money. 
So whether we're asking for more salary or a different bonus structure, or whether we're asking for capital or for debt financing, right? Um, those later asks, so later career asks, and then later life cycle business asks are even harder because mm -hmm. it feels like there's more at stake. And mm -hmm. so holding, holding our sort of power and sense of authority in those later career or business asks is even is even more important because and and really money is the power to make things happen. And so mm -hmm. when women start to think about money whether it's in micro lending which I know you're passionate about or it's in you know their own professional development money is the power to make things happen to move obstacles to mm -hmm. unleash things that haven't been able to grow. So when women start to see money that way, um, it they actually sort of get unlocked about it. Mm -hmm. And that's been true for me. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when thinking about what my rates are, right? So what to charge for my services. Yes. Yes. That's a big one. It is. It's such a big one for women. And, um, and so I love coaching women who are charging too little for their mm -hmm. services, and they feel disempowered by that. Mm -hmm. And they actually choose to take radical responsibility to say, what exchange of money would make me feel empowered to do my best work? Mm -hmm. What would give me power? How much money would give me sort of a sense of internal power to start to help others or to grow this business or to move out in the industry in confidence? Mm -hmm. And Usually the answer to that question is more, more right. money makes, get, makes more possible and it, it mm -hmm. becomes more powerful. Um, so that exchange of money as power is a really mm -hmm. nice shift. And it has been in my own personal journey and also in my clients journeys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. And this makes me think because um, I think uh, as, as you're, you're explaining, a lot of women are afraid of stepping into their power and, you know, asking for these things and kind of making that, that taking that radical responsibility, as you put it. Um, and recently I was speaking with a guest on the show uh, who spent time as an entrepreneur, as a politician, and she was elected uh, or appointed as first uh, female tourism minister in Tunisia right after the Arab Spring. And, you know, her, her journey has just been completely fascinating. Wow. And, and that was, you know, she, she's overcame very, very large obstacles as a woman in politics in the Middle East. And she shared with me that she realized, you know, the main kind of learning uh, because she mm -hmm. joined politics after having spent probably 25 years in a, in a corporate world. And when she joined politics, she realized she came to the conclusion that she could not be powerful and be liked at the same time. Mm. And this woman has had a very specific, Amel Kerbel is her name. She's had a you know, very specific journey and, um, you know, politics is stuff for women anywhere, but with a, a, to an extra degree in the Middle East. Um, do you think... You know, do you think this is true in, uh, if we use maybe a North American context, women who are working in a corporate sector or, or even women in politics? And I'm asking because I know a lot of women are afraid of making these demands, whether they're entrepreneurs or work in a corporate sector, because they're afraid they're not going to be liked anymore. And then there's the whole question of respect versus being liked. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. 
Oh, you're into it. Yes. Yeah, these are juicy topics because as a society or as a civilization, we're at some sort of transition point about who can ask for what. And mm-hmm. um, and we're also at an overflow of do people like me or not? And we yes. have now metrics for that, which we never had before. So, so we can count like Mm -hmm. measure, operationalize whether people like us or like our message or like our content or not. Mm -hmm. So, So the simple answer to this is how valuable to us and to our growth is the idea that people like us. Mm -hmm. And I would say that it's far less valuable to our self-concept and to our growth and our sense of empowerment than mutual respect or influence or legacy or right. So there's, there's some elevated concepts that I would advocate. We trade for the feeling of being liked because the feeling of being liked either before we could measure it or now that we can has always been too shallow to actually satisfy our questions like, am I worthy of this position? Am I strong enough to step out in confidence to influence others? Um, you know, am I good enough? Am I lovable? Am I wise? Am I, you know, do I have impact? Do I change things categorically for others? Um, mm-hmm. Those questions produce such a different result inside of us then do people like me? So I, if, if, you know, if this gal was my coaching client, I would say, what are the things that matter to you? Does, is it your top priority to be liked? And what is that giving to you? Mm-hmm. What would it feel like if I told you, you were influential in someone else's career journey? Mm-hmm. Would that be better than being liked. Um, And what if there wasn't a trade-off for that? That actually Mm -hmm. you being powerful grew someone else's professional journey. Um, That those two things actually (laughs) influence and reinforce each other. And that when Mm -hmm. you are less powerful, because you're worried about whether people like what you're doing, you are less powerful in other people's journeys. So mm-hmm. you've you've leaked out all of your power to do meaningful things because you're worried about being liked, which is such a fleeting, fickle, funny, fucked up kind of a thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Absolutely. Pardon me, but it's upside down. And mm-hmm. when leaders, men and women, when leaders realize that there is so much satisfying work and feelings to being powerful, to requesting what you need and what your business or what your nonprofit needs. Mm-hmm. Um, when they realize that everything changes mm-hmm. um, because what matters is impact, influence, legacy, advancement, um, gratification. And those things just 
they do so much more. They just feel so much better when you go to sleep. They feel so much better when you talk to your children about your work or, Mm -hmm. you know, you come on a podcast like this. Um, (laughs) And the most powerful people who have incredible legacies, I'll tell you, the ones I've met and the ones I've studied and read about, they do not spend energy wondering about whether people like them. They spend energy wondering about whether people grow in their presence as a result of their influence. And it changes their entire game. And they go out in pursuit of the information that will help them continue to do that. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. That is so interesting. And this makes me think, um, so reading about your work a little bit, and I know a topic that uh, that, that you address is uh, performance reviews in mm. in the corporate setting, and I have a lot to say about. Okay. I spent oh, I spent a, a little twenty years in a or almost twenty years in the corporate sector before uh, starting my own business and becoming an entrepreneur. And I always had an issue with performance reviews, getting them, giving them to my employees. And most companies, I mean, I find it's a completely antiquated approach to measuring, you know, an employee's contribution. And we don't, we spend time looking at things that don't matter. We don't talk about the things that do matter. How do we, you know, really help an employee grow? As you just say, it's not about being liked as a manager. It's about helping our employees, coaching them to be better human beings and and better at their job ultimately, but just happier human beings. Um, so where, you know, what needs to be fixed basically. And uh, I know we have women entrepreneurs who listen to us who probably have to, you know, manage performance reviews and in their own companies and then, uh, women who are employed. I think there's also something, um, generally, you know, that, that is probably, you know, targeting women in the corporate sector because, um, the uh, a lot of the rules uh, and and just the way uh, corporations are are, are run uh, are run is based on white patriarchy. So uh, you know qualities that um, women leaders typically embody are not being recognized in the, in the average performance review. Uh, so there's that as well. So I'd love to hear you on how can we fix this and what needs to change. My overall <laughs> thoughts about this are amen and aho, because um, it's you and everybody else who is fed up with the review system. So mm-hmm. there are lots of solutions out there, and I'll be a bit controversial or at best unconventional and say, 
that none of those are getting you the information that you need in order to evaluate and develop people. Mm -hmm. And none of those things are getting your people the information that they need in order to grow and develop and perform. Mm -hmm. So nothing against results or performance or accountability, but those metrics and those anonymous surveys and those <laughs> scripted conversations, they don't get us what we need. And so mm -hmm. some of us are, who are trying to hold our own sense of authority and, you know, stay wise and get our organizations what they need to grow are saying, if you don't get us what we need, we need to do something else. So mm -hmm. our, our people um, want to know how to improve, how to perform, how to practice together, how to collaborate together. They want to know that information. There are mm -hmm. some lazy folks in the world, but um, that's the, they actually are not our job. Um, so yeah. trying mm -hmm. to pull lazy folks up is not the point of you know review and development from my standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. it won't work number one. So if it doesn't work, let's not do it. <laughs> let's do something else. Um, and, uh, people who are really driven, who are really motivated and really in their zone, they are not motivated by our review systems and by mm -hmm. anonymous data. So if it doesn't help our rock stars and it doesn't help our people who are lagging, why the hell are we doing it? Um, and usually the answer is because we don't know another way. It's similar mm -hmm. to this, you know, why don't we know what to do with our power? Why don't we know mm -hmm. how to request what we need? Well, we haven't seen it modeled very well. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. up to many of us to, to keep telling the stories of places that do do this really well. So I've had the opportunity to be inside many organizations, and some of them are really brave and really courageous about getting people the information that they need and that they want in order to perform and to excel. And mm -hmm. interestingly, when you take that tack, when you get really curious and you start to inquire and partner with those people to get them what they need, to teach them how to request it and to figure out how to resource them, the lazy people wake up mm -hmm. because either the game has just been exposed and revealed like, hey, who's in? What do you need? You know, we're ready for you to excel. What's in your way? We'll get it out of your way. Um, they either wake up and engage or they wake up and think, oh, man, they're not playing a false game in here. I better get lost. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an editing mechanism, which you know, those evaluations or those rankings, they were aimed at doing that anyways. They were trying to edit a workforce or um, edit an organization in a way that would keep the people who were motivated and engaged and performing and would call the people who were not performing or weren't engaged. So right. this is a different way of looking at an organization, basically saying, okay, what does everybody need in order to perform so the organization succeeds? And mm -hmm. so that counts in an NGO, that counts in a school administration, that mm -hmm. counts in a corporate asset management company. 
you know, mm-hmm. these principles are principles that we use because we know they're the ways that adults learn and they're the ways mm-hmm. that adults develop because mm-hmm. we know how children develop over time. We watch them in stages and lesser known is the way that adults develop. But guess what? We develop in stages too and we can you know, end up more engaged and more motivated as we move along if we're involved in the process. And so performance review overall, I like to think about it as people development, um, Mm -hmm. getting people what they need in order to develop the ways they need to perform in whatever the business is, whatever the cause leadership is, um, and and also in relationships. It, It sort of matters in all of those genres. And so mm-hmm. your question, which is a juicy one, is what needs to get fixed about performance management? And I would say the my my straight answer is that we take all the anonymity out of it. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is extremely unpopular, Ava. No. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yes. And and really, that's because it requires everybody to gain capacity. It requires yes. everyone to become more courageous. Yes. Mm-hmm. To become more curious, to become mm-hmm. more adept, and to become more natural in the ability to say, here's how I see you growing. Here's what we need from you and your performance in order to grow the organization and support the organization. Can we go in on that together mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. I know you're pursuing it and you know that I'm going to help you pursue it. I'm going to get mm-hmm. you what you need, or we're going to resource you in the ways that you need. Um, now, the big barrier to this is a lot of times you have a manager or sometimes a CEO who doesn't want to think this way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so yeah. most of the time, someone's going to say, well, that's great for Patagonia or Bridgewater <laughs> or whatever, right? Um, but what about me? Like I work in little old so-and-so's company and they are not of this mind and mm-hmm. they're not looking to remove obstacles for me. And they're they're only looking to rank me and my team so how do I go to work every day with like a good stomach, you know, a stomach that feels okay? And to tend to that, I would say, how do you take sort of extreme ownership of the piece that you have been tasked with? So you have been tasked with some piece of the organization, whether it's, you know, your sort of neighborhood and you're a postal carrier and this these are the results that you're responsible for. Mm-hmm. Or you've got a set of teams, you know, along the supply chain that are your purview. Right. Um, or you are an individual contributor and you work at Nordstrom on commission and like that, that's your jam. That's all you're accountable for, <laughs> that um, your ability to design your own organizational structure that seeks sort of information about whether you're hitting the mark or not is your responsibility. And Mm -hmm. every time you feel the temptation to blame your manager or to blame the organization or to say, you know, well, they're not here for it. Um, They don't know me and I don't matter. If any time that occurs, you sort of ruthlessly question it. Mm -hmm. Really? Is that right? Um, 
Now, the caveat is if you're in an abusive situation or things are bad or unethical um, or just don't fit your values, then you need to make an exit. And that's your responsibility, too. Right. So I yeah, sometimes, sometimes it can be fixed. <laughs> yes. And either way, it's responsibility that's the answer. Um, right. You know, you taking responsibility either to change the place because you're out of integrity there or to take responsibility for your part of the architecture. Because one of the most powerful things you can do in your own professional development is nail whatever it is that you're responsible for. Because the perception of anybody across your organization at any level of the way that you have it totally in hand, that you have taken extreme responsibility, that you've elevated the values inside of the part that you have design authorship over, that perception is incredibly powerful. It may not get you a direct promotion or something, but it will influence your professional choices and your professional brand as you move along, especially for women. When, the, when people perceive that it's great to work for you or it's great to work with you or your part of the organization is so sturdy that any other part of the organization enjoys contracting or exchanging with you, the perception of your leadership in that sort of moment or that experience, it that sticks around. That stays forever. And it's mm -hmm. fully within your possible, like your power and your responsibility to do that. Um, that's your pursuit. And, um, and that's, that's hard because most of us feel like, well, my organization doesn't give me training and my organization doesn't develop me or care about me or mentor me. Um, and so the answer of, well, what are you responsible for? How, talk to me mm -hmm. about how much responsibility you've taken in your own development and your and and really architecting your piece well. Um, mm -hmm. Usually, we haven't exhausted. We have right. not exhausted everything that's available to us and all the people and content that's available to us. Mm -hmm. And so that is it is it's an, sort of an unconventional. And I would say, if I had a podcast, it would be called unpopular coaching that actually <laughs> works and lets you sleep at night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I actually, that would be a very interesting podcast. So you may, you may want to be thinking about that one. Okay. Um, and yeah, and that, and that was great advice. It's, you know, and, and it connects to um, one of your earlier answers about really stepping into our power and, you know, uh, taking responsibility for what is within our, control and often we have way more control and influence than we actually think we do it's up for grabs really so it's yeah. it's just about stepping up and activating it, it um i want to ask you about um women leadership and um um you know traits and uh, skills that women typically bring to the workplace and um, you brought up the fact that, you know, we have, there's a shortage of women role models who kind of show us that, uh, you know, that, that, that new school of thinking and who really uh, embody these things. Because, for example, with my career in the corporate sector, yes. you know, I was, I was coached and I was taught that, you know, the, the leader would be kind of that very firm, almost dictatorial, very strict uh, leader that imposes, you know, respect through uh, a more aggressive way of leading and can't show vulnerability, can't show 
emotional intelligence can't show, you know, it's, it's, it's about kind of that tougher outer shell. And it took me a long time. And it's eventually, I think that was one of the big reasons that led me to wanting to create my own business and, um, you know, kind of foster a new type of leadership and, and certainly show that there are other examples of role models that don't embody that, you know, that archetype. Um, but how can we, how can women break free from kind of that concept that we have of what a leader is? And we often hear, uh, you know, women say that those attributes, those words that we would use to describe a woman are seen as weaknesses mm -hmm. in, in the workplace. So a woman who is compassionate, who is a good listener, who you know listens to her intuition for a long time and and still in a lot of places these are known wow. as, as bad things for a leader to be. So how can women you know step into that new form of leadership and really tap into these new skills, these new skills, and you know embody that that new archetype of what a leader actually should be? I love this question. At the core of it is what counts as leadership. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really rich, lifelong question for women and men to ask what, to me, what counts as leadership? And there are so many layers to the answer to that question. Um, who would I consider a leader in my journey? And mm -hmm. what was true about them? Uh, who was a leader in our historical landscape and what was mm -hmm. true about them? What did people say about them? What did their letters reveal about them? What did their decisions uh, include? You know, there's, there's a, that's sort of a detached way of thinking about it, a more philosophical way of thinking about it, but it, but it's a really good start um, because you're saying, you know, the way that I was coached was that leadership is whoever can muscle through and push it through, right? And it's sort right. of this aggressive and, you know, whoever can get the job done kind of a mm -hmm. version of leadership, which, you know, we have lots of data <laughs> that, that that's just ineffective or that the mm -hmm. weight of leadership like that is devastating. Yes. So um, it's not the kind of <laughs> leadership we want right now, mm -hmm. um, you know, the other, the other part of this question um, sort of opens us up in this conversation to hear, like, how did you change your narrative about what counted as leadership in order to step into another version of it? What contributed to that? Or maybe who contributed to that? Um, have you shared that on this podcast very much? Um, I don't think I've shared it on this podcast. Um, I, I, I was recently the, the guest on a, on another podcast on a show that we produce called oh, Everyday cool. Ubuntu by Monkey okay. and Bomani. But yeah. no, I haven't spoken about that on here. Um, but to, to, to answer your question, I mean, um, first of all, for me, there was a shift in, um, leaving a culture where the, I, where I, basically disagreed with what the, the definition of leadership was because mm -hmm. it just, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't fulfilling anymore, not for them and not for me, because ultimately we didn't agree on what, you know, leadership was. So it was constant friction. Um, so back to what you were saying earlier, sometimes the exit is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> in, in this case it was. And by, you know, creating my own, my own business, 
basically, obviously, I can I can create some rules for myself. So I have that luxury. It's not always the case for someone who's just going to a different, you know, uh, corporate setting. But um, what I still struggle with is I've had to unlearn a lot of these things because I had been yes. exposed to them for so long that they were still kind of naturally coming up. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just in, in the way I would, the way I, I work with, you know, employees, for example, or even, you know, partners or freelancers, whatever it is, um, it's still when I'm showing um, compassion or vulnerability, or if I catch myself sharing too much about my personal life, then I still kind of have that, that, that reflex to say, oh, wait a minute, that's not good. But it is who I am as a human. So it's really reconciliating the two. And what I experience as well, and I know, I know I've had a discussion with a few women on the show, is also kind of that fake persona that we end up building as a leader. Yeah. And a lot of women in high-powered roles in the C-suite, for example, you know, go go through that because they think they have to behave a certain way. We think we have to dress a certain way, speak a certain way. And um, we we hide a lot of our, you know, our true selves and who we are in our personal lives because we think we have to behave, you know, based on that on that uh, that model, really. And it's interesting because I was speaking to somebody else on the show recently about how one of the changes that COVID and the pandemic has brought forth is that there's a humanizing effect because we are all connecting. Everybody's working from home. We're all on Zoom calls from our living rooms or home office, you know, yeah. the children are running around, the cats are jumping in front of the computer. So we're actually, and, and we've kind of let our barriers down, right? We might be wearing sweatpants and no makeup. Yeah. So um, we're getting to know each other as humans better. And uh -huh. I find that really refreshing and it's so true. Um, so that's helping, you know, accelerate that change a little bit. But if it wasn't for COVID, we'd still be pretending we're that professional version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, okay. So thank you for sharing that. And um, I, I'll pull out like a couple insights. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so a really powerful one is um, your question of when I have to unlearn the old ways of doing things, mm -hmm. what you're actually unlearning is the old way of also being. So mm -hmm when you say I have to show up or I have to put on a persona, I mean, that's about like who you are as a person. That's a, that's a be being question, not mm -hmm. just a doing question. And True. so the way to actually unlearn some of that doing and being is to start to think through who, who do I want to learn to be? Um, mm -hmm. I want to learn to be someone who has authority and has compassion and can talk about my personal life and like that those things actually contribute to my sense of authority. They don't mm -hmm. detract from it. And so, you know, when you think about how do I, how do I learn to be someone who leads and, you know, remains myself, <laughs> Yes, um, exactly. I can I can remain me and maybe become even more of me mm -hmm. when I have authority and that I don't lose authority, but that authority actually it brings out more of me. 
Mm-hmm. And that is such a counterintuitive thought. You will never learn mm-hmm. that in a business school class. You will not <laughs> hear that in any book that's published with hardbacks. Um, and that's because it's felt dangerous in the past to be, be myself and have authority because it feels like it's risky to allow somebody to really like be a human and be in charge of anything or have power or authority. And, you know, the answer to that isn't, you know, it has been, but it isn't now. The answer to that is not, okay, be somebody else and then we'll give you authority, right? Because (laughs) it creates a terrible shadow dilemma in the person who's given it, right? And we're going to give them this identity shadow. We're going to give them this weird problem. Do I, am I myself? No, I'm supposed to be this other thing. Um, and I only get authority and I only have the ability to influence things if I, you know, shed myself and become the other thing. So that's the, you know, you, you were talking about that dilemma of, do I need to show up this way in order to have influence or impact? It's a terrible Mm -hmm. trade-off to set up. So how do we stop setting up that dilemma and make the real dilemma, the developmental dilemma, how do I become more of myself and become more worthy of authority Mm -hmm. because I can demonstrate how solid and how integrated I am. So I'm actually a trusted pair of hands with this authority, right? And do our recruitment questions, do our interview and hiring questions get at this? Um, No, they don't. Do our review questions get at this? No, they don't. They actually set up that other dilemma, which is, you know, tell us about the best thing you ever did. Tell us about how, (laughs) how much you like our values that are written on the wall, but we don't know how to demonstrate what they mean in real life. You know, I mean, I want to know about a time when you were wrong Mm -hmm. and your whole team knew it. Tell me how you handled it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Tell me about a time when your direct supervisor was totally dead wrong and how did you go about it? Right. (laughs) Um, There are, there are situations that we can all talk about or get at to figure out if somebody is trying to stay divided, (laughs) the persona, or becoming more myself. Um, There are situations and conversations and good questions that we can get at to to demonstrate to the people around us that we don't want them in that dilemma anymore, Mm -hmm. that we actually want them integrated in a way that what they're doing is a result of who they are being and that those things come together to be a, um, a journey of becoming and that they're going to have some foibles and they're going to have some stumbles, but that mm-hmm. we're right, we're right there with them for it. Um, and that as long as they stay motivated in the pursuit of that, that, um, that we will count that towards performance and we will count that towards results because really there are mountains of data in the HR field and in the developmental psychology world around people who are less set up to be divided between their doing and their being, they actually get better results. The people Mm -hmm. who do who they are (laughs) or they are how they do, you know, the more consistent they are, they achieve more. 
Mm-hmm. And that's at every level. That's not just an entrepreneurial, you know, artistic endeavors. This is in, you know, actuaries. This is in, you know, tax accountants and right. in asset management and in insurance. Um, I work with all kinds of those industries. So it works in fashion and my CEO and senior team of a fashion brand in LA, same. My mm-hmm. CEO and his team in asset management in Chicago, same. Um, you know, th- these are the principles of adult growing and adult learning that bring us out of the dilemmas of remaining who we are and, you know, and choosing what we do. It brings us into relationship with those two things. And I think, you know, the best thing we can do is start as early as possible with recruiting and hiring that like those, those conversations need to be of this texture so right. that later review conversations don't become a surprise. <laughs> um, it's great. It's right? Um, mm-hmm. We set up those agreements early. We reveal exactly. a lot yeah. about us ourselves early and about what we believe mm-hmm. early. And then we end up with people who are going to voluntarily choose that. They're in. Like they mm-hmm. are for it. They're here for it. And they want to be developed. And they don't want to be in that dilemma of who I am and what I do are super different. Um, so, you know, thank you for, for using the word hiding because I think a lot of men and women are hiding because they are unsure or they don't have a familiar example or narrative of leaders who are trying to unlearn and stop hiding and kind mm-hmm. of really become more powerful by showing who they are and and showing who they are as worthy of the authority they've been given. Mm-hmm. Um, it changes the whole conversation. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. It, it, it really inspires me. I mean, this is what keeps me so close to the leaders who are brave enough to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, they are very powerful and they get incredible results. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they lead their industries and, and the more they're willing to tell the story about how they've become the leader that they are, the, the more normalized this will become. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That is so true. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I would have like a million follow-up questions on this. I am being mindful of, of time and, a question I wanted to ask you, so shifting a little bit okay. from yes. you know, advice for, for our, our all our leaders. Um you are, you know, you are Dr. Kara Miller. Mm-hmm. And recently we have seen in the news Dr. Biden uh being um I, I mean, I don't even know what to call it, a journalist who should not have that title. Uh, was trying to strip her of the right to use doctor in front of her name, even though she's earned that uh, that doctorate. And I want to, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. And and clearly it is something, you know, it was said about a woman, uh, a man wrote the article, a man who was far less qualified than she is to make any, any, any similar claim. Um, what kind of reaction did it trigger in you when you, when you heard the news? I did have a personal reaction. 
And and like any of us who have experienced discrimination or um, underestimation, mm-hmm. um, that's not an unfamiliar feeling to me. It right. did not shock me that someone wrote that. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't surprise me that he called her kiddo because I have been called kiddo by so many men in positions of power or in positions of evaluation of me and my work and my accomplishments, um, that that makes me the saddest, that that is the most discouraging part of it. Not that, not that he did it, but that it didn't surprise me. And, you know, for your listeners, right? Like, in, um, in the podcast that you had with Carrie Phillips, she talked about the experience of, of people of color. Yes. Having, having a similar feeling of, yeah, it's terrible, right? That this injustice occurred. Also, this is not a surprise. I mean, right. So, um, that's the saddest part to me Mm -hmm. of my first reaction when I sort of observe myself, um, seeing that, you know, just total stumble and total fall. Um, And also, as we do in each of our communities, um, we figure out what does that reveal? And it reveals that we still have work to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my clients who are people of color, um, when racial injustice occurs, as it does continuously, not in one spike here or two spikes there. It's a continual systemic reality. Um, it again reveals to us the work mm-hmm. we need to do together and um, and that we examine more closely who we are and how transparent we are about the way that we work and the way that we respect others. Um, it did the same thing for, for me is it, you know, the women who I coach, the women who are my colleagues or my partners, um, you know, it revealed to us again, what we already know, but that we have more work to do. And, Mm -hmm. And what are the ways that we need to attract others to the work? Because, you know, the efforts we've made so far, um, you know, we haven't, we haven't changed it systemically. <laughs> um, right. yeah, exactly. It's given us a new avenue. How many of mm-hmm. us are in relationship with publishers? Okay, because mm-hmm. this publisher fell down. And is, are any of us in relationship with this publisher? Because if this publisher, um, you know, is in relationship with anybody like us, that, that may not have made it through. So mm-hmm. you know, we got some, we've got some work to do. So right. yes. uh, the system level diagnoses, I guess is what you could say, right? It just mm-hmm. make it sound really clinical, um, show up in the symptoms. And so we can yes. diagnose our system as still sick with it. It's mm-hmm. sick with gender discrimination. It's sick with dismissiveness. It's sick with, you know, supremacy and whiteness and maleness and you know we're, we're still just sick with it and here we are um and so how do we link arms and and go out to work again and mm-hmm. you know there's a theme here in our conversation and that is we, we model more transparent stories of a different way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and we demonstrate how powerful and how gratifying and how influential it is when we go a different way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I have daughters. Um, you know, I, I want them to achieve everything that they want to achieve, and I want them to benefit everybody around them while they're doing it. I know mm -hmm. that it's possible. Um, I would like for them to be called kiddo and babe way less often than I was, yes. because I think I was called those names way less often than my mom was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I know there's progress there. I do. And the men in my life who are partners of mine and colleagues of mine and clients of mine, um, you know, we're transparent together about what we both have to unlearn. Mm -hmm. right. I love your, I love that word that you used and, and how we have to stop hiding because mm -hmm. when we talk about hiding, we are inferring that there's something we're hiding behind mm -hmm. and, that's um, sure. and that's ours to remove. Um, so together we've got to just do better. We know better and we've got to do better. And, you know, it's not necessarily about fixing problems. It's about demonstrating something better, something mm -hmm. that's less rife with these core dilemmas of, you know, am I valuable enough to be here? Have I achieved enough? Am I worthy of the title? Um, am I trusted with this authority? Am I, no, these, you know, these questions we need to answer fundamentally so that we can like for good <laughs> so that yeah. we can help others answer them and we can build systems that answer these questions for others. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for bringing that up. It's really important to talk about. Um, I will say I, I went through all of my social media and added my sort of doctor title to the <laughs> front of it. Um, good for you. You know, just to say, hey, let's do this together. Um, yes. You know, I, I, I know there are times in my career, academics and professionally, where I have laughed that off or played it down. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Not wanted to seem, you know, superior in some way or right. But most of those stories are all in here. And they don't belong to other people. They don't belong to me. Like those, we don't need those questions. Um, you know, I, I want to have influence and and I want to achieve the things that allow me to influence more good things. Um, that DR in front of my name means that I'm fully committed. I have mm -hmm. so much commitment. I've overcome a lot of adversity voluntarily in order to be here for these conversations and to get the resources to leaders who need it, who can impact across enterprises and across industries. So yes, damn it. I am a doctor. <laughs> and like, I hope that communicates my commitment to, mm -hmm. to influence and to the good work. Um, so yeah. Okay. Thank you. I don't know if you were <laughs> looking to give no, me that, that, that. I just yeah, took it. fantastic. <laughs> And, and yeah, and I think it's, you know, if this can serve as a, cause you're, cause you're right. What happened after that article is so many women I knew were saying, I can't believe, you know, the wall street journal printed that. And there, if there was a whole team, you know, that edited that piece, approved that piece, printed that piece, got it out on the website, in the paper, that's where the problem is. Right. So you know, hopefully this is a good reminder for women who are being called kiddo or sweetie or, 
you know, taking the, the DR and out in front of their name if they're going to a conference or whatever it is. Um, it reminds us that we still have a long way to go and we need to keep fighting. Um, Absolutely. And so congratulations and, for doing that. Oh, thank you. Well, I, it's you know, on behalf of, for sure, in service to something. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of the things that comes up a lot in organizations is, is what happens when people complain about things. Yes. Um, yeah. And that complaining is a very common problem. And, and so it's, it's really like a pleasure to, to share with, with leaders of organizations that complaining is sort of the lack of a, of a place to put my commitment. And it's a lack of a place to put my disappointment mm -hmm. in something that I think should be a commitment. And so when people complain about this bad guy who wrote this article and he's a misogynist and he's discriminatory and he's just a jerk. Okay, true. And what commitment did we just discover because we had the opportunity to complain about it? Well, we're committed to better publication process, right? Like we're committed to elevating voices and publishing voices that, you know, empower women and men and celebrate their achievements. So, mm -hmm. um, so we just found that commitment again, and mm -hmm. we found it on a more public scale. And that's true in every level of an organization or even in parenting or partnering, um, that when somebody's complaining, rather than trying to say, you have a bad attitude or mm -hmm. stop complaining, look how good you've got it otherwise, yes. which is our usual, those are our go-tos, right? Um, right. Find some gratitude. Don't complain. Find gratitude. Okay. I'll suggest an alternative, which is try to listen for what the person is, is committed to that they just discovered, but they're not doing a very good deal, like job dealing with it, but right. they just figured out something they're committed to just got offended. Right. You know, and, and some agreement they felt like was made either on a social level or an interpersonal level just got, you know, dismissed and offended mm -hmm. and and they're disappointed and can you guide them towards that can you try to figure out what was it that you felt so committed to that's been dashed mm -hmm. um and in yourself when you're tempted to complain like oh there's so many jerks in the world there's so many assholes out here who get a voice and a microphone okay what am i what did i just discover i'm quite committed to and how do i start start to pursue that commitment that committedness um mm -hmm. deal with the disappointment it's a bummer it did make me sad right um also yeah. it's re yes it's recommitted me to something it's reengaged me in some sort of agreement i need to be more explicit about. Um, and I need to change process or policy or some infrastructure in order to reinforce that commitment. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's just so much more power in figuring out like my complaint, like it just reflects a commitment that that just mm -hmm. got, you know, disappointed. How do I follow that? How do I help others follow those commitments that were revealed. Um, so anyways, I thought I'd add that in because that's a common, it's a common response to this kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's important. Well, uh, so Dr. Miller, yeah. you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm using the DR. Let's, Thank let's, you. let's Thank you. use the DR for the next little while. We're going to um, use it for good. That's what we're going to do. 
Exactly. Thank you so much. I mean, this has been fascinating and uh, you brought up, you know, so many insightful elements uh, to this conversation. Thank you very much. And thank you for being a change maker and helping, you know, make all of us women and men included better leaders that is that is so needed in the world. So thank you. We can do this. Thanks for having me. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Yeah.